Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Welcome back to Beyond Sales Development. I'm your host, doing my best, William Shatner, here at Zero Dark 30. I have a great guest today, Keith Daw. He is a business strategist and trainer for Sandler. I'm a massive David Sandler fan, if you didn't notice. Keith, how's your day going? It's going great and getting better by the moment. Love it. So today I want to talk a little more about behavioral change and human behavior. There's a lot of great stuff that Sandler brought us, things like transactional analysis and the parent and child, but I think there's a lot of mythology around, you know, how do we apply it in a modern sales context? I, I would agree completely. And uh, you mentioned David Sandler more than 50 years ago, kicking off something. Real quick little backstory to, I think, set us up here for today as to how David Sandler got to where he was. So as the story goes, and there's certainly some versions, but he was on an 0 for 84 streak as a salesperson. And at some point went back to his wife and he's like, I just don't get it. I've got this amazing product. People need it, but they don't want to for blah, 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 blah. And his wife just paused and said, you're a smart man. You'll figure out there has to be a reason why people buy or people don't buy. Why don't you take some time, do a little introspection and see what you come up with? And, and as he started doing it, and all of us have had those moments where we've been frustrated, of course, in the what ifs. But as he started going through it, he started realizing there was a communication dynamic. There's some psychology behind why people are comfortable, certain people, certain situations. Uh, certainly DISC plays into that, although that was not necessarily something that was on his. But one of the ideas of transactional analysis. Now, many of us took psychology with Freud and his id, ego, superego. Well, Dr. Eric Byrne brought a transactional analysis, similar idea The understanding that every single time we interact with a human being in any conversation, and today's methods, more than one medium in which we could do so, there's these individual transactions in the communication that are happening. And where Sandler excelled and where Dr. Burns' research brought into it is when you understand the three components and some of the nuances in between, now you can pause and you can go into any conversation with the right mindset, kind of feel with your gut, get a sense of it's going in this direction or it's in this situation, know what that is, and then how to adapt instead of just going in as a passionate steamroller with the best of intentions and then scratching your head afterwards, wondering why seemed like it was going to be an awesome call and it just fell flat. Love that feedback. I found Sandler because I would run into a lot of smart people and they tell me about this bicycle book. You can't teach a kid how to ride a bike at a seminar that he wrote. And it's just so lovely hearing his own words. You know, how did you find this? I think a huge question is applications for the enterprise, applications for SERs. What I love about modern Sandler is they've sort of 
they figured out a lot of enablement across the whole revenue chain. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. Agreed. Agreed. So when I started with Sandler, it was more than 10 years ago. I was the owner of a company after working for all the huge companies. And at some point, didn't realize what you know, was it. I didn't know what I didn't know. And as I started learning more about it and transactional analysis and this, I'll talk a lot about it. I'll weave it in here. I was like, wow, I never even knew this was a thing. Now that I know it's a thing, how, how can I use this? How can I work with it? And then there were some times where I'd run into someone because I'm a producer as well as the strategist and trainer. I need to find the companies that want to get better. And I'm part of that process. So a lot of clients like the fact that this guy isn't just saying, well, back in the day when I used to make cold calls, dude's on the phone. I'm doing, I'm using the stuff that we train. And as I started learning more and more, I started realizing that, okay, if I can understand how to have the best conversation and understand these communication psychology stuff, and then apply it to one-on-one -on, -one on an outbound over the phone, or it could be team selling where there's five of them and four of me and my team. How are we understanding everybody's different styles? What are the dynamics? When we talk about transactional analysis, there's the parent, the adult, and the child. There could be a critical parent, and there could be a nurturing parent. So thinking about even in an enterprise space where I have four different players, five different players, if I can understand who's the critical parent that says, Justin, I don't care how long you've been in business, just show me what I need to. Well, that person's not mad at me. That person's not a you know what. That person is just, for whatever reason, frustrated. They're in that critical parent. How do I address that situation? That nurturing is, hey, Justin, it sounds like this is a hot button for you. Let's do this. Let's switch into the adult mindset. Let's talk about some of the facts that came across. Let's see what we can do. Similar people, similar, right? So how do you diffuse? How do you acknowledge whatever frustration? Because if they're not emotionally attached, there's probably not going to be any kind of urgency for a sale. How do we identify and, and adjust that? So, you know what? I hear that all the time, especially this time of year, especially in those scenarios. Bring that relatability. Now it helps to diffuse it. And if you think back to when we were growing up and there was some tension at work and it was the, hey, can we all just settle down and act like adults? That's transactional analysis where you're going to have emotion in that critical parent because you're frustrated or ticked off, or you're going to be in one of those childlike states, which we'll probably touch upon. Either way, I got to acknowledge the emotion and then get you into that rational intellectual adult phase so we can talk about the stuff. We can talk about the facts. What are the contributing factors? What's the impact? Should there even be a next step? Because I talked about my upfront contract at the beginning. We got a lot of, we got to figure out to figure out if there should be a next step or, you know, if, if I don't want to work with you or you don't want to work with me. Yeah. So I worked with a, a master trainer, shout out to Matt Benelli, who was former Oracle, got me really excited about, uh, <laughs> about Sandler, another guy named Rich Chiarello, because I've lived everywhere, New York, San Francisco, worked for a ton of companies. I love this idea of reverse psychology. You know, he kind of broke it down that Sandler was the master of reverses. You know, I, I, we always say, don't spill your candy in the lobby. And we're like, what's the lobby and what's the candy? But I guess overarching here, these concepts, as we have a lot of SDRs, people trying to crack into business, where does reverse psychology play a role in some of the techniques. I like to have utility and takeaways. So people listen to this and go, hey, I was listening to Keith and he gave me these little nuggets and I'm gonna go try this right now. Okay, perfect. And I'm all about tactical and practical too. So that falls flat, you know, falls away for me. So you said SDR. So if they're making an outreach and let's just say it's going to be a cold call because that's probably gonna be common, although this could certainly apply in an email as well. Everybody's gonna talk about how to hone your, your pitch. To me, if you're between 25 and 30 seconds and you're with something that 
I know what my ICP, my ideal client profile, I know what that person is. I'm in front of them. I know the three things they're probably emotionally attached to right now, regardless of the scenario or the time frame. And I lead with that. Forget about value prop for right now. You care about it. Marketing cares about it, but the prospect doesn't yet. If I lead out them and say, you know, Justin, you know, right now I'm talking to a lot of different business owners. They're looking back on 2020. They're thinking about what worked, what didn't work. Sometimes they understand it. Sometimes they're frustrated that what can I replicate? Concerned that something might appear again next year if I don't fix it. And a little overwhelmed with everything else that's on their plate right now. I don't suppose any of those things have been a concern for you or your leadership team this past year. Now, there's people who cannot stand the I don't suppose, but that little negative, that little pulling it back, instead of sounding like an infomercial, that's a, so Justin, are you and your team running into this, right? And so that just seems like there's that finger pointing through the phone. But when you can just kind of pull back a little strip line for those fishermen out there to be able to pull that back and just soften it, I don't suppose, well, kind of the second. Okay, so kind of the second as in not really important enough for her to have a conversation about or maybe an example you'd like to share. And if it's not important, we're off the phone in 10 seconds and I'm on to the next person. But at the same time, it's gently waved me saying, hey, Justin, sounds like this might be important. Why don't you tell me a little bit more, but I don't want to be in pushy. I don't want to seem nosy. And regardless of how I deliver it and those gentle little pull, those gentle kind of taking it away from them actually makes them feel more comfortable in sharing and opening up. Yeah, I really like that. I've seen parallels to that in some of the work from Chris Voss with FBI hostage negotiation and some of the ideas of like negative labeling where you ask a question reverse instead of, do you want to meet on Tuesday or Thursday? Would you be opposed to a quick conversation? Then they say no, but there's, here's a great question. Do you think someone can just act natural and be great at sales? I think you could be good at sales maybe naturally, but I think getting great takes these new skilled and learned behaviors that you need to drill and habituate. A lot of times marketing just thinks, oh, sales is easy and sales thinks marketing's easy. I just write these things, but I think getting great at this stuff's like really great top 1% of results is super difficult and takes a lot of introspection and technique. So how have you emulated that in your sales journey? What are some you know tips for people that want to become great at sales? Okay. So great question. And it's been the age old question for back to me is, you know, are sales people born or created? And, and I'll say yes. So to your point, there are people who have natural skills, talents, competencies that serve them well in a sales type of role. However, if that raw potential is just left to raw or them just figuring it out as they go, they'll be good. They'll have successes. I, I was one of those. I've been in sales for uh, say more than 30 years. And, and so at some point, there were certain things I said or did that worked well. The challenge being that since I'd never had any formalized training and I didn't have one set methodology that I kind of use as my core, and, and certainly we can tweak and adapt and we can grab in a few little nuggets from other things that we've liked over the years, because I didn't have any of those, I couldn't replicate it. And so even though I hit numbers, won competitions and had a good living, at some point there was still stuff left on the table. So that's where the excellence part came in, that sales athlete that says, you know what, making it to the playoffs every year is cool, but it's not good enough. I want to win the champion. I want the ring. I want the, the cup, whatever it is, depending upon your sport. And that's where those individuals who personally seek 
extra training, extra coaching, extra resources. They do the work. They do the drills. Top football players right now, they're not taking a week off. They're doing the same drills every single practice, every single week, so they can do it as part of second nature. The things that I or say or you would say on, on a call that others might be in awe of, we've been practicing them for years. It's just part of our natural hardwired communication at this point. I don't even recognize that I'm saying and doing some of these. That being said, when those scenarios, outbound call, enterprise, working with a channel partner, negotiating through whatever those are, now I can take those skills very intentionally as far as my pre-call plan. What can I do above and beyond my natural skill set to be able to bring in the best of the best version of me? Those are the people that I, I feel are you know, superior when it comes from a sales usually shorter sales cycles, usually longer term uh, engagements with somebody, fewer and fewer transactions. So yeah, with like trainers like yourself, business strategists, it's amazing because I forget that there's any methodology or process at all because you're so natural. That was the thing about you and Matt, like you'd be running a pain funnel and you couldn't tell. And the audience is going, we're reading it off a book, like a script and we're trying to set it up. And he's just so natural because he's been running this thing. Was there a point where you were competitive with other sellers where the competition shifted to competing with yourself? You know, I, I talk to people about this, like the, the competitors in the mirror, because there's, there's so much, you know, bang the gong and competition. But you know, I didn't really read sales books until the second 10 years. And then I discovered them and it was this treasure trove. And then navigating it was hard, right? So it's cool to find a method and a core, like you said. So these are some tips to just kind of about excellence, habits, how often should people be calling? How often should they be reading versus applying? I mean, this is a strategic and tactical show. There's a lot of folks on here getting started or team leaders trying to, to motivate and, and get that self-pelled motion. And I know you know a lot about this. So as far as how frequently, I think it depends upon, let's just start with your goals. You know, if you are already at 90% of where you ultimately want to do, I mean, you're, you're crushing it, but you know there's a little something how frequently you do or the duration of what you do might be different than somebody who's earlier in their career or mid-career who's like, well, I might need to kick it up a few years if I want to retire before I'm 80. And just like a, a marathon runner, is this your first marathon or your 26th marathon? It's still going to take a lot of work. It's still going to take a lot of time, but your path and, and what the commitment you make might need to be different. I personally think if you want to get better at sales, and same thing could be for leadership in other areas, but if you want to get better at sales, you should be blocking off time, minimum of 30 minutes every single day to do something to make you better at your craft. Whether it's fine-tuning part of your pitch, whether it's fine-tuning, you mentioned a, a pain funnel, feel better navigating it so it doesn't sound like an interrogation, or whether it's something unsales related and it's just a a, a mindset or positive outlook. Just let me make, make, make me be a more confident or better human being because that will translate into whatever I'm saying. 30 minutes every day to do something to make yourself better, personal or professional development, that's probably a step. And then once you've identified what you need to do, that's when you can say, all right, I'm going to dedicate so many hours this week to hone this particular skill set as the case might be. Yeah, that's very profound. So what about career advancement? Because that's a tough thing too. People are trying to move up from an SDR to AE. They can't quite hit it. Tenures are short. They're trying to move from an AE to senior AE. They want to be a VP of sales. They want to become a GM, CRO, an entrepreneur like yourself and be used to system. It's just 
there's this actual quandary of like, how do I get ahead? If they're too effective, they get pigeonholed when we inside sales role and almost never moved. If they're not effective in, enough, they get a performance plan. So what are your tips? Because you've definitely, you know, climbed the, to the highest ranks of sales and now, you know, run a successful business uh, generating millions for people. You're very humble about it, <laughs> but how did you do it? And, and how can others listening follow in your footsteps? All right. It's a good, good question here. So thinking back to the, what I would have said and done years ago, had I known what I know now, I think part of my challenge and maybe some of the, that others out there might be facing is sometimes we think too small. So if you're an SDR and you're like, okay, my next step is AE and you're shooting for AE, we know how it happens when you, when you hit a goal or you shoot a goal, you shoot for a goal. Sometimes you fall just short and then you're frustrated or you shoot a, a small goal and you crush it, but you're still not to the ultimate. So think about the, all right, let's imagine, Justin, you're an SDR, you've been there for six, seven months, you're crushing it, doing a great job, and you have aspirations to move up. Well, let's imagine you get AE. How long do you want to be an AE? What happens after that? Do you want to be an AE forever? So understanding perhaps not necessarily the, for the next goal, but what is the potential goal thereafter? And there's a book out there called The, the One Thing, and I would personally recommend every single person read it. And even if you only read the first half, like I did, I had to go back to the second, but I read the first half on an airplane, coming back from a business trip, and it totally changed how I'm creating my goals and building the plan for it. And, and so just back to the original question, you're an SDR, you want to be AE, but what do you want to be afterwards? And to be able to set an ultimate goal for the end end destination and understand that AE is just part of the journey to get to that end, and what do I need to be able to do now to say, all right, next six to 12 months, I'm going to do this, this, and this, which is going to hit me AE. But if I know what happens afterwards, I can also start building into the plan, building into my skill sets, things that allow me to expand much further. Instead of taking them in individual transactions, taking a look at the broader plan, I want to get a PhD right now. I have an associate's. What do I need to do? Keeping in mind, master and PhD is more important than bachelor. But if I don't know what that is, I'm going to get the wrong classes of my bachelor and I'm going to be stuck there for the six year. So I think understanding that journey, some people want to own the company. Some people, it's the last thing on the planet they'd ever want to do. So depending upon the path, that will help you to understand what you need to put in place and what steps to take before you hit AE. So you're ready and you're probably going to be more skilled than most other people that are making the transition to that AE position. Such a great response. So here's a big one. How do you read people? How do you research people? How do you personalize your communication? This is becoming hugely thematic as we're remote. We can't just meet at events and do the dinners and go to Dreamforce, maybe virtually. But that's a thing I really respect about people that have done Sandler's, their ability to read people and their ability to do very effective pre-call research. There's this issue CEB highlights that most sellers just don't understand. It's Gartner now, but they don't understand the prospect. That's the big gripe. Seller doesn't understand my business. So you do have tips on those. Like when you're on the phone with a prospect on a Zoom, how do you read them and adjust? It kind of does go back to transactional. And then getting the meeting, right? Or progressing the deal. There's some research component. There's some personalization. Some new folks are doing five hours of personalization a day, trying to craft the holy grail email. They're getting bogged down. What's the sweet spot? 
So I see that. So if I could solve this, I'll be able to retire next year. But so I, I see the same emails that are about what is your perfect cold call pitch? Here's what you used to say and do and how you should do it. Here's the perfect you know, cold email. I've seen, we've got mutual colleagues that have said, look at this amazing stuff that my, my team has done. And they've clearly gone to a LinkedIn profile and noticed they're a marathon runner or they're into this or into that. And, and I think anybody that takes that moment and just puts a little sentence or a little phrase in there, certainly that level of personalization. And I would strongly encourage people to do it or continue to do it. At some point though, you also need to make sure that, you know, you just pick up the phone and say and do the right thing. And even without that, you don't have to give them the, I know what you like to do for a hobby and I think it's cool because of what comes out of your mouth is something you know resonates with them. Personally, I, I like the duality. I like being able to do both. Is there something on their LinkedIn profile I saw that, just is relevant to bring up and I might be able to, to you know, integrate into a call or an email, absolutely use it. Nonprofit organizations. I do a lot of mentoring with and, and involvement with and you know that time, money, treasure. When I find people that have a, the same or the similar, I certainly, I certainly, oh, I see we're both involved with. It's great. However, when it comes down to people will get you know, interrupted 60 plus times a day, you're going to be one of them. Let's make certain that whatever it is that you say and share is something that resonates. And so I'm a big believer, and this is where I'm giving out some, some money to those that will listen, is think about who is your ideal prospect. And it could be three or four different people. So pick one and create a playbook for each. What is their number one frustration, their number one concern, and the number one thing that's overwhelming them right now that you could potentially fix? And in my opinion, and this is based upon success with thousands of scenarios with clients over, over 10 years, if you hit that spot on, that 26, 27 seconds on the phone, that short little email, it's going to resonate. You know, Justin, right now, as a business owner, probably number one frustration you're facing is X. The concern, what's going to happen if frustration is not fixed, probably something in this area. And the overwhelming is usually time and options, because if you knew what to do or had the time to do it, you wouldn't need my help. You'd have already fixed it. You know, I don't suppose one of those things are pumping up here towards the end of the year. If I'm reaching out to an HR director about training for their organization, completely different potential pain points that they're facing than a VP of sales, than the owner of the company, uh, a sales manager, the sales associate themselves might have completely different pain points. Because I am an expert in what I do, you're an expert in what you do. These others that are calling their companies, their teams are experts, even if they haven't gotten there yet, they know when I talk to people like you, I could reach out to a CIO on behalf of a client. I don't know how to do what they do, but I can tell from them, CIO is probably frustrated with this, kind of concerned that this might be happening or not happening, and a little overwhelmed by, don't suppose, I don't have to be an expert in fixing it. I have to be an expert in extracting information and understanding right out of the get-go. And this person says, well, wasn't going to pick up the phone, but this guy clearly seems like he knows what he's talking about, almost like there's a camera or a microphone in my office. Maybe I should give him an extra minute or two. And that's all we need. That's that pattern interrupt that so many have talked about that Sandler's been using for decades is the just give them something different instead of, hey, I'd love a little bit of time to talk to you about. It doesn't matter. I could be the best call they ever received, but that approach is going to sound like every other salesperson and is probably going to get shot down. Yeah, what I love about it too is it it triggers emotion. We all know that people, they they 
you know, buy on emotion and close on logic. There's been so many systems and brain studies about the right brain versus the left brain. And so much of sales has, has, and marketing really gets into that logical side of the facts and figures and the features and the outcomes and the measurable stuff. But what you just highlighted was challenged by, frustrated by ambivalence. I don't suppose it might be a problem, problems, pain. And I, I love it. No pain, no sale. That's, you know, Sandler was the, the king of pain. You know, and now there's this question like latent pain or there's no more pain. Bant is gone. But I still I think there's still pain. I just I mean, sometimes people aren't aware of it with these disruptive solutions. What if you sell something and they're kind of like, we're good. We have no pain. How do you find pain in a painless world? Last question. <laughs> so I think part of it is by introducing it. So if we know it's probably there, but for any number of reasons, they're going to be uncomfortable sharing with a complete stranger any kind of emotion because they're you know playing their cards close to their vest because other salespeople have screwed it up for all of us. I, I think at this point to slowly introduce it. So we know there needs to be emotion there. So if I say, Justin, you know, here's some things that are you know commonly happening, or I can say people are frustrated by, concerned or annoyed by, or overwhelmed. And this is just, a, if I can introduce it. And he said, well, I wouldn't say frustrated, but we've talked about it. What have I just learned? I've learned that there, it's there. There's some pain there. They just may not be in that emotionally attached to it just yet. And now I can take, well, so it sounds like it's not a frustration issue, but it's something that you're, you got your eye on right now, maybe something down the road. Yeah, that probably, I, I'm still learning information and I'm learning priority. Maybe I caught them before it becomes a problem, in which case it could be a close, a quick sale. Or I've gotten it to the point where they haven't even realized just how big of a problem it might be. And now I've been able to you know, four or five minutes on the call. So I think if you infuse or gently introduce some emotion and some pain into the conversation, either A, it allows them to go, yeah, yeah, this is becoming more and more of a concern. Whereas before they would not have said, you know, I'm kind of concerned. We should probably go find somebody that can help us with this. So it's our job to bring it in there and see how they respond to it. And if they respond either neutrally or they respond positively, either way, we've got a path to be able to learn more. That's why I refer to myself as a hack psychiatrist that does communications training and all the sales leadership and customer service just ends up being a byproduct a lot of times. I love that quote. Yeah, we're in the therapy business. I love how consultative you were there. You're introducing, but you're not pushing, right? Very important, like a, like a friend or someone you care about you know, might be a fit, might have pain. It's something we're looking at. Let them develop it. Let it be their idea. Let them tap into their emotions. So I really love this episode. How can people find you on, uh, on the interwebs? <laughs> so the easiest way is probably just going to be on LinkedIn. It's only eight letters, Keith Daw, D-A-W. Uh, one thing I will joke is if you send me a connection request, please send me a, a little customized note just so I understand how, how we're connecting and maybe give some context for, for when we do connect and have a chat. It was wonderful hearing from you today, Keith. I'd love to have you on again. So much wisdom so quickly. Thank you for being on Beyond Sales Development and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Justin. Thank you.